0: Okay, so we're in Daniel chapter 1 again, Uh, we're beginning all over again, no we're not really, we're just kind of um, pausing to explore more thematically uh, the things that come up in Daniel chapter 1. And this morning I want to talk about uh, Daniel and um, who he was, his citizenship, Um, and to think about that and, uh, and who we are and our citizenship, it doesn't matter if I'm a bit in the way, does it? A little bit. Uh, Daniel uh, was taken from Jerusalem Yeah, he was, he was Jewish He was one of God's people Taken from Jerusalem Taken to Babylon And he was renamed um, I don't know how many How many people here took a new name When they came to France Anyone here take a new forename, Sometimes Chinese people do um, Because Chinese names Can be really complicated Sometimes when they come to France They call themselves by a French name Like Fleur I knew a, a girl who called us at Fleur. And in fact, Junyang, some years ago, he used to be known as Daniel. Um, and sometimes I still call him Daniel because kind of like I'm old. Um, well, Daniel was renamed. He was taken to Babylon and renamed. And he and his friends were renamed. And they were trained at the highest level. They were going to enter the elite. Uh, they were going to be high um, civil servants. They were going to be all fonctionnaires. Um, In the um, administration of the Babylonian Empire Uh, What a privilege, you know, what a position to be in Taken from Jerusalem, a little two-bit city And taken to this great big city of Babylon Which ruled at that time the whole known world And they were going to be part of the administration It was a wonderful, wonderful thing And um, it brings into question this whole issue of identity, doesn't it? Um, Daniel, who is he? And uh, one of the things that we see with uh, Daniel is that he accepts the new name, he accepts the training, he accepts lots and lots of things, but he asks politely to be uh, allowed to refuse the king's food and drink, okay? Okay. He chose not to defile himself with the king's rich food and wine, and um, the books are really fascinated by, fascinated by this, and I'm fascinated by it too. Um, some people say, "Well, the thing is, um, it could—it's—it's it's a question of Jewish food laws, you know. Um, some of those things they wouldn't have the right number of legs. Yeah, the the, the, the Babylonians may well have eaten escargot." And les uh which would be forbidden for Jewish people. They may well have eaten les Again, forbidden for Jewish people. There may have been pork. Uh, forbidden for Jewish people. And of course that's possible. That's possible. But the flaw with this is that Daniel refuses the wine. And there's no problem with wine in Jewish food laws. Other people say, well, Daniel is putting God to the test. He's eating deliberately an unhealthy diet of vegetables. Well, I don't know, really, because most people in the world um, who were like us, you know, not fabulously rich people. Most people in the world, uh, even today, just eat vegetables. You've got to be fairly wealthy to eat, to eat meat. You eat meat, you're in somewhere like the top 10th of, of the world. And so, um, so I, I'm not sure that, that Daniel is really putting God to the test by just surviving on a diet of vegetables. Anyway, we know people who are vegan, and they, they've been vegan for a long time, you know? Uh, yeah. What is it then? If it's, if I'm, if I'm, what, is there anything that convinces me about this idea of refusing the king's fine food and the wines? Well, this is where I want to tell you about a film. Who has seen the film *The Firm*? It's a John Grisham film. Yeah, um, two people have. Anyone else seen the film *The Firm*? Anyone read the John Grisham book *The Film* *The Firm*? It's it's a book by John Grisham. John Grisham, American author, Southern Baptist, uh, a lawyer, and he writes stories um, based on the American legal system, basically, and they're kind of thrillers, really. And in the firm... Uh, who plays the lead in the firm? Tom Cruise. Yes, yes Tom Cruise. And uh, Nicole Kidman, I think, plays his wife. I think so. Tom Cruise uh, gets taken on by this legal firm. And they are... He's, he's a, a newly qualified lawyer. Just passed his exams. He gets taken on by this big legal firm. And man, they are, they are a firm, you know? Um, so prestigious... He can't believe uh, his, his good fortune to be taken on by a firm like that. And they offer him a fantastic salary. They also offer to repay his um, uh, tuition fees, yeah, his loan, his student loan. So they're gonna repay all that. And they say, look, your car is beat up. You need a new car, and they buy him a fancy car. And um, basically, he's kinda showered with good things. He's told of a place in, I think, the Bahamas, where he can go on holiday freely, that belongs to the firm. There are so many good things that come to him with the firm. Bonuses, gifts, holidays, pay, great job, great car. And he really plunges into the heart of this firm. His good fortune is amazing. Yeah. Um, And the goal of all that is to get him so integrated into the firm of lawyers that by the time he finds out that the firm is a firm that represents mafia bosses, he won't have a way out. Yeah? And the whole kind of drama of the story is about him and what he does when he realizes the truth about the firm that he's working for. Okay, um, what, what has that got to do with Daniel? Well, here is Daniel, and he's living in Babylon. Uh, let's be clear, they took him captive. They didn't offer him a, uh, uh, another option. He was taken to Babylon, uh, whether he wanted to or not. And he works for Babylon. Yeah, okay, he's being trained. They've even changed his name. But, he says, yeah, but you can't buy me. You can't buy me, not with fancy food, and not with good wine, you can't buy my heart. Because Daniel knows that even if he lives in Babylon, and even if he works for Babylon, he belongs to another kingdom. Now, we can think of this in two ways. The first way we can think of it is this, he belongs to the people of God. Yeah, the, the Old Testament kingdom of Israel. He belongs in Jerusalem. And they took him from there. But actually as the book of Daniel unfolds. We can see that Daniel actually belongs to a different kingdom too. To a coming kingdom. That comes like a little stone. And smashes the empires of this world. And Daniel is shown again and again and again. This new coming kingdom that he belongs to. And that he must look for. And hope for. And trust in. And go for in the turmoil of the um, empires that come and go in this world, yeah? So, um, do you you see what what I'm getting at? Daniel's heart, uh, his, if I can put it like this, his mind is in the service of Babylon, yeah? His body, he he writes and moves around for Babylon, uh, but his heart is not a Babylonian heart, and it never will be. His heart uh, is... Heavenly, he has a heart set on the eternal kingdom of God, yeah? Uh, And it's that tension that I want us to kind of um, explore in the coming weeks. He belongs to the coming kingdom. Now these books that talk about Daniel and keeping your faith in a hostile culture, I have a certain issue with them. And my issue is this, I'm not sure the culture was, was usually hostile to Daniel we see a lot of situations where Daniel does pretty well. Daniel interprets the king's dream, rescues all the astrologers, uh, ironic uh, to say the least, and the king uh, rewards him. Yeah? So there are various situations in Daniel's life where Daniel does pretty well. Uh, we could even say the majority of Daniel's life, you know, he's in a position of influence, he's in a position of power, he's in a position of trust. I'm not sure that the culture was always that hostile. But now and again, now and again, man, did that get hot. Man, did that look fierce. You know, and I'm talking about furnaces and lion's dens. Yeah? And for us, I'm not sure that it's very helpful for us to think of our culture as hostile. You know, we do pretty well, don't we? We do pretty well. We can go on the streets and invite people to meetings. We can talk about the gospel freely. We have the right to say it. We have the right to say it. We can talk about our faith freely um, uh, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Uh, The culture is not particularly hostile. But there are areas where you you trespass, you transgress, and it'll come against you. Yeah? So by and large, we don't live in a hostile culture, but there are times when, just like Daniel, uh, well, I'm not saying furnaces and lion's dens, but there will be stuff, you know, there will be problems, there will be tensions, okay? So so that's where I'm coming from. I don't know whether it's helpful to me to think of Western culture today as hostile. I, I don't think that helps me as a Christian. But I think I do need to realize that now and again there are tensions. Now some people live in really hostile cultures. And some people have to flee their countries. Because there's a really hostile culture. Yeah? And maybe we should talk to them about what it's like to live in a hostile culture. But you know, France is not that. Okay. Um, So over the next couple of weeks we're going to try and explore these areas of tension. Um, and I've said next week, sexuality, here's a couple of ideas that uh, might get you thinking. What about money? The whole approach to money uh, in our culture and for the Christian. What about the whole uh, approach to work? Yeah? Um, what about our approach to possessions and the course of our lives, the goal of our of life, um, a successful life? What other areas are there where we sometimes find ourselves in tension? With uh, with the culture we live in, with our own culture, um, anyone got suggestions? Yeah. The, of truth. yeah. the perception of truth. Yeah. 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 Man, so people are writing books about that, aren't they? Yeah. The perception of truth. The or the whole idea of the word truth. What does truth mean? Yeah. Any other um, ideas for what we should consider? We don't have to get them now, you know, it's, it's ca- kind of a big deal, isn't it, to try and think of, of things on the spot like that. But have that in mind and send messages or kind of, you know, uh, call me later or whatever. Um, yeah. So this week, uh, it's related to the question of truth, it really is. Uh, We're we're going to be looking at this issue of identity, of who you are. Um, I've observed that lots of people preach about who Jesus is. Uh, Loads and loads and loads of messages on the internet, who is Jesus Christ? And that's really good, isn't it? But I I don't know whether we often preach about, who are you? (laughs) Who are you? Sat there this morning, who are you? What is your identity? Um, um, uh, Who are you? And even when we talk about finding our identity within Christ I don't know whether it's always very clear what that means And so um, my goal this morning is to try and and explore that And clarify that a little bit Now then, this morning I want to do a little experiment And um, it's bizarre, really bizarre But what I want you to do is to please turn to the person next to you If you know them really well, choose someone behind you or in front of you, okay? And introduce yourself as if you've never met, okay? And you can do a couple of people, I'll give you a couple of minutes. Uh, Introduce yourself as if you've never met before, All right, And for some of you, perhaps you haven't, and that's great, Uh, but for some of you, you have. So, do that now. Now, please hit pause on that that congregation, on that conversation, and you can take it up again uh, at the end, can't you? Because um, I could see that some people, we were moving beyond introduction and getting into kind of like beginning a friendship, and that's great. Uh, We can do that later. Yeah. Um, Very often when we introduce ourselves in English, we begin, I am. I'm Alan. I'm Alan. I'm Welsh. I'm uh, a pastor. Um, I'm... Uh, living in Bordeaux uh, And stuff like that Yeah um, And the question of, of identity Is very much What do you put after I'm What do you put after I'm In French you might say Suis. Uh, It's what do you put after Suis. What comes next And that's interesting isn't it What do I put next And for many of us especially those of us who kind of live here but are not French, we say, I'm American, I'm Welsh, I'm uh, from Cornwall, I'm whatever. You know, we, we start like that. Um, because in a way that kind of feels like our identity, kind of. Um, but uh, it's that question of what comes after I'm, what comes after she. Now, this question of identity is really interesting at the moment. Because we are living in a time when, related to this issue of truth, the most important thing about my identity is how I feel. What I feel about myself. Um, and the reason we, we are like that is, is complicated. But one of the reasons for it is that everything else we can change. For example... Um, You have a a male body, but you feel female. You can go through surgery, you can go through treatment, you can change your body to reflect how you feel. Yeah, Uh, we can wear different clothes, we can use makeup, we can do all kinds of stuff because we believe. That the most important thing about our identity is how we feel. Yeah? My feelings is the most important thing. Reality is inside you. Reality is inside you. And the world around has to adapt to how you feel. Now at this point I would have loved to have shown you this crazy film. But I, I would never find it. So I didn't even try Um, of a guy who goes onto a university campus and this guy, he's a short guy he's bald, um, he's kind of in his 50s and he's white, okay? And he goes onto a university campus and he says, hello there I'd like to introduce myself Um, and he says, I I self-identify as a tall uh, woman of African background. And they say, that's great people say, that's great, some of you have seen the film um, I know a church where there's a guy who is in his late 50s, um, he's uh, an ex-chef, he's kind of, you know, a big guy, and he identifies as a teenage girl. And everyone must call him, I can't remember what what the name is that he adopts, when he identifies as a teenage girl. And you have to relate to him as a teenage girl, because that is his reality. That is what he believes about himself. I'm a teenage girl. I look like a guy in his 50s, but I'm a teenage girl. Um, and that is how our culture, our culture is kind of accepting that. Yeah? You can, you can self-identify as whatever you feel. Because reality is what you feel. Now this really touches on this whole issue of truth, doesn't it? Uh, so we'll probably come back to this at some stage. Now then, for someone who is a Christian, yeah, I want to say this. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He comes into your life, um, we have this feeling that sometimes conversion is a lovely thing. You know, He comes into your life and He makes everything sunny and smiley. But it isn't always like that. There's, there's one lady, and she says, You know, when I was converted, it was like a train wreck. It was like a train wreck. My life was ruined. Uh, because he took it all apart. And I had to rebuild a whole new life. And Jesus, when he comes into your life, and he comes in like a conqueror, yeah? He comes in and he gives you a new identity. And that new identity, um, it made me think of, of, um, of a verse in Revelation which isn't it's kind of not all that relevant to what we're saying this morning, but it it's kind of fits in a little bit. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of a hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Jesus comes and he gives you a new identity. And it's not a new identity based on your past it, it isn't about your past What you've been It's not based on your feelings Reality isn't within you Yeah, Your feelings are important But they are not the measure and gauge of reality Very often we feel things that aren't true Yeah. So reality is not within you Your identity is based on Jesus Christ Yeah? And this is what we mean when we talk about identity in Christ. Okay, let's unpack that. What is my identity in Christ? And I think this was true for Daniel as well. I think Daniel very much would um, identify with what we're saying this evening. Uh, Sorry, that came into my head as would find himself in what we're saying this morning. Il il se retrouverait dans ce qu'on est en train de dire. Bon. Um, God has given us a a picture of of reality and it's a wonderful picture it's the most amazing picture that you could ever uh, get because it's the big story of the whole wide world and of you and of you and in that story he explains to you who you are and that's great that is really wonderful. And that story we summarise in four stages, okay? And the four stages are very relevant to who you are this morning, okay? The first stage is creation. And that is so important. I am made like this by God. You know? I'm a guy of 1 meter 80 I would love to be one one meter 85. You know, one meter 85, I think, would suit me very well. You know, I really think, you know, uh, in my head, I feel one meter 85. But I don't put that on my passport form. Um, Although, you know, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, And, you know, God has made us. He's made us. He's created us like this. And in the world, there are all kinds of people. There are people who are little. There, there are whole kind of families and uh, nations of people who are smaller than others. And then there are big people like the Dutch. You know, the Dutch—they're all so big. Um, I'm scared to go to Holland. They're all so big, um, but they're lovely people, so we're okay. Um, and God, He loves tall people. He loves short people. He loves angular people. You know, the, the, the people who are, they seem to be all joints. And he loves people with a certain roundness, you know? Uh, he thinks that's, that's cool, he thinks that's wonderful because he made a whole world of people and no two people are the same. Isn't that amazing? He thinks it's wonderful that everyone is a little bit different, everyone. There's some people he made with skin like uh, the people of uh, Brittany, uh, never goes brown, you know? Other people, um, they're always brown. Brown in winter, brown in summer, brown whatever. You know, uh, uh, and God thinks that's awesome. He thinks it's awesome that some people change color with the seasons and other people don't. He thinks that's great. Um, It's it's the most amazing thing. He made people with blue eyes. He made people with brown eyes. He made people with green eyes. He made people with eyes of a color that you can't name. You think, what color are those eyes? Some people have eyes that don't match. God thinks that's awesome. Everything he made was, he declared, good, good. And so, um, you stand here, or you, know, you sit here this morning, and you're of a certain height, yeah? And most guys, five centimeters more, you know? Would that, would that kind of be a disaster if I had five centimeters more? Well, for some of us it would, and so we dream of having three centimeters less, you know? Um, nobody's happy with their height, But God is, God thinks it's great that you should be that height, yeah? Um, God made a world that is good and so he made me with this skin and with this build, with all that entails, with this hair, uh, with these eyes, with my capacities, you know, I'm good at certain things and I'm bad at others, Um, with my gifts and with my desires, He gave me appetites that are good. You know, I really, really want to eat. Every day I want to eat. I once joked with someone, I said, you know, I think I'm addicted to food. Every day I want to eat. He said, oh, you need to think about that. I thought, it was a joke. Um, (laughs) God gave us these desires which are good. You know, we want to eat. And we don't always want to eat the same thing. It's a tragedy when people have to eat the same thing all the time. God didn't make a world like that. He made a world of variety. Where there's loads of different things to eat. Um, And so God then, in his goodness, he's made us so we're not all the same. Now then, listen. In our cultures, we have these ideas, don't we? These stereotypes of what people should be like. Guys, well, you know, I'm I'm now an old guy. And I remember when everyone was supposed to look like um, the guy with the floppy hair, Hugh Grant... Everyone was supposed to be thin, you know? Thin and lanky. Uh, At the moment, uh, everyone's supposed to be butch, you know? And muscular. Uh, And it changes all the time. And uh, the only way you could do that is to be like a film star and starve yourself and then do kind of loads of working out and then starve yourself again. There's no way you can follow fashion. Um, Girls, it's the same thing, you know. Uh, In the 1960s, it was twiggy. What did twiggy look like? She looked like a twig. That's why they called her twiggy, you know. Uh, So thin. And then we went through the whole Kardashian period, you know. Um, I don't know what to say about that. Um, And then kind of, don't, don't let, that is just culture. It's just changing. You know, God made people with a wonderful variety of shapes. And he thinks that's cool. He thinks that's good. So creation gives us an important part of our identity. God made me like this. There is nothing wrong with my color, even if sometimes I think it looks kind of like, you know, you buy pieces of pork that look like that, don't you, from the butcher. Uh, It's just kind of, anyway, never mind. So There's nothing wrong with it. I've got to get used to it. Maybe I will. Um, next part of the story. And this is not such good news. This is the fall. Creation fall. Now the problem is. Because of man's rebellion. Everything God made good. Gets twisted. And so diversity. Leads to division. Yeah. Why should we. Hate each other. Because we're different colours. Why. Where is the logic in that? Why should we have um divided society over over people who are taller and shorter why should that happen why should it be an issue why but diversity sadly becomes division and 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 it's a tragedy it comes about because of the fall god didn't make it that way it came about because of our rebellion desires become twisted you know every day i want to eat and that's a good thing but every day I want to eat chocolate and that's not so good, yeah? Um, and um, we know, when when, if you're bringing up kids, that kids have a, a huge appetite for certain things and not so much for others, yeah? And they have huge appetites for all the things that are not very good for them and not so much for all the things that do them good and make them big and strong. Um, and so our desires are, 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 are twisted in terms of sexuality. Sexual desire is good. It was made by God. But that doesn't mean that all my sexual desires now are good because of the fall. And so desires have become twisted. And some of the things that we should want, we don't want. And some of the things that we do want, we shouldn't want. Yeah? Desire becomes twisted because of the fall. And that's me too, you know, I... I can no longer trust my feelings. Yeah? My feelings are deceptive. They are treacherous. They will trip me up. My logic can be treacherous. It can trip me up. uh, Because of this twist that has come into my nature because of the fall. So, created good. Fallen into, uh, we'll say, disrepair. Yeah, disrepair. There's something wrong with me. Okay? But the third part of the story is this. Redemption! Redemption! How amazing is that? God won't leave us lying in the gutter. He won't leave us uh, wallowing in our own filth. God determines to save us. And he does that in an amazing way. He sends his own dear son. God comes himself. Yeah? Yeah? In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he comes as the living God walking into the universe, he made as the perfect man. And we see wonderful things in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ we see compassion, we see uh, real anger, we see justice, we see love, we see commitment, we see a plan and purpose, we see dependence on his friends, dependence on his heavenly Father and we see that there's no way he's going to be deviated from his plan and his course and the Lord Jesus Christ then he's the perfect man he's the loving saviour he's the dying friend he gives his life for me and clothes me in his perfect life and takes my rotten old life and nails it to the cross where it's dealt with forever and so he reconciles us he reconciles me to God and he reconciles us to each other and makes a new people, uh, a reconciled people. And he gives us amazing gifts. He gives us his Holy Spirit, who comes in and works in our hearts. He gives us uh, his his word, which the Holy Spirit will use to teach and to train us and make us think differently. Uh, He gives us his people, who we walk with and who say to us, you know, Alan, you really need to think about this. And I think, oh yeah, okay. And uh, so on. So on, you know. Uh, we have this whole, um, what's the word I want? A battery of different uh, tools and gifts that God has given so that we will progress and become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. More and more like the people we are meant to be. And then the fourth The fourth, if you think redemption is good, the fourth is glorification. Because God will not leave us in this constant stage of growth. One day we will arrive at home, you know. One day we will walk into the Father's house where the Lord Jesus Christ says there are many rooms. One day we will see him and we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. One day those twisted desires will be straight again. One day these feelings will be um, trustworthy. One day this heart will be pure. One day my thoughts will be reliable. One day I will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where I'm heading. And Jesus is taking me there. Doesn't depend just on me. Jesus is taking me there. By his spirit, by his word, by his people, by a, a, a hundred and one different things—the circumstances of my life—you'll use everything to get me uh, to that final destination, holy and pure. Now then, um, <clears throat> that's where um, I want us to arrive at—to begin to think. I, I want everyone here to think about themselves differently, me included. Okay, I want us to to. Um, situate ourselves in this story and to find ourselves in this story of creation, fall, redemption and glorification and to recognise that we're in the middle of that story and that story explains to you who you are it tells you the wonderful things it tells you the awful things you know the terrible things it explains to you the really really bad things that you think oh I hope Alan doesn't know about this I hope nobody knows about this Uh, Well, this story of creation, fall, redemption, glorification explains it. It explains why you're growing, why you're changing if you're a Christian. It explains why you will finally arrive at home. And uh, I'm challenging you this morning to find your identity there. And that is what I mean when I talk to you about finding your identity in Christ. Yeah? Understanding who you are because of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has uh, come to achieve. Now, then, for some of you, that means what you feel. For me, as well, we have to challenge our feelings because what you feel is not the truth. It is not the truth. It is. It is real. They are real feelings. They are powerful. They are big. But that does not define who you are. And don't let them. Learn to argue with yourself. Learn to to fight with yourself. Learn to fight with your feelings. And not just to to accept that they should believe. Um, Trust what God has said. Trust what God has done. Trust what God has promised. Because that is how Daniel stood. Yeah? Yeah? That is how Daniel was able to be a faithful servant in Babylon. But to draw the line and say, you know, you don't own me. You never bought me. Not without fine food, not without good wine. You never bought my heart. My heart belongs to the coming kingdom. But I'll serve you. I'll serve you. But there's a limit. And Daniel was able to keep his direction. Because he knew who he was. Okay? Okay. Um, that's my challenge to you. Realize who you are. Think differently about yourself. Uh, it's very important. Uh, we'll pray.